focusing on the book of James. So why don't you open up to James 4. I'm just going to have a couple verses we're going to read. But before we read those, I think there's some other verses that may be helpful by way of reminder. James said earlier in the book, he said this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Later on in verse 26 of chapter 1, he said this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then in chapter 3, for a, a whole passage, but by way of emphasis in verse 2, he says this, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Today, James continues to emphasize the importance of our words in response to the gospel on the path to Christian maturity. Remember, that's really the focus of James. With all these commands and all the ethical responses to the work of grace that God has done in the people that he's writing to, that he keeps repeating or even restating, it's almost like he can't stop talking about it. When he's writing to the, he can't, he can't help but emphasize a very important aspect of the Christian life, and that is our words. And so, on the path to maturity, as you're seeking Jesus, as you're looking to obey Christ and follow Him, you can't help but talk about words. You can't help but talk about what we say and how we say it. It's important to James. The reason it's important to James is because it's important to God. Amen? causes fights and quarrels among you. Sometimes we think the Bible writers just sat down and thought, you know, I have to write a, bu a bunch of true things. Let me think through a couple things and just randomly address. No, he's, he's writing to people who are going through real life situations that are relevant to the struggles that they face. Clearly, the people that James is writing to is struggling and stumbling in how they speak and what they say. There is obviously fights and quarrels and divisions that are coming because of what they say and how they say it. And I think of the day in which we live now. If you think back at all, if you've been paying attention at all to the last 18 months, in, in this time, what we say and how we say it, seem to be relevant to what I'm going through. It doesn't affect my 9 to 5. But you think about the way in which James has been writing and what he's focusing on. Surely, when it comes to what we say, how we say it, to whom we say it, whether in a conversation or in, uh, online on a, on a social media platform, this is a relevant thing to be 
thinking about when it comes to Christian maturity, is it? So it's important to James. It's important to God. It's relevant to us, but I still wonder, is it important? Is this something that we're praying about, thinking through, focusing on, as it comes to our relationship with Christ? I hope today that at the very least, that rises to the surface for you. That if you're passionate about Jesus, if you're passionate about the gospel, if you're looking to follow him and obey him and become like him, if that is meaningful to you, then surely what you say, how you say it, to whom you say it, is going to rise to the top of the priorities for your life. I've said before, some of my most grotesque sins have been related to If there's a shame and condemnation that I have to fight off, it's what I say, how I say it, to whom I say it. And so I just feel uh, confronted in a caring, loving, gracious way. And I wonder if all of us can take it this seriously. Let's read together. How do we speak in a way that reflects our relationship with Christ? in a way that honors Him, that displays our increasing maturity. Verse 11 of chapter 2. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit will work in our hearts, would apply these words to us, that would conform us to the image of Jesus, and this word would be clear, and that your grace would be operative to transform us this time, in Christ's name, amen. Not to say it again, but I'll say it again. Words, again, again and again. That's what James is talking about. You know, my kids are in athletics. They've got all of them in soccer, uh, one in basketball, and one thing they've learned and are continuing to learn in the years as they continue to try their best to develop and mature as an athlete is repetition repetition, do it again and again and again and again. And James is almost like a a gospel coach here. Do it again. Do it again. Think about this again. I'm going to say it again. There's power in repetition toward maturity, toward development. And here he gives us a a very clear stop sign, a red light when it comes to our words. He tells us Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. There is absolutely no room, there is no place for us to speak evil against one another in Christ's church. There's no place for it. It's clear as day what James is saying. If you're doing that, stop. Red light, stop sign, 
He prohibits it. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. There's no place for us to speak evil against one another in Christ's church. He calls them brothers. That's who he's talking to. I think that's a helpful reminder, given the kind of language that was used in last week's passage. Do you remember? He goes on. What is, what is, how do you, you, you adulterous people, verse 4. That's strong language. You adulterous people, right? Uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You hear those words, they seem wild and extreme, but let's not forget the overall tenor of the letter has been James calling them, greeting, beloved, my brothers, those who know and trust Christ and are in the family of God. And yet in some ways it reveals for us the tension that we live with in this present age. Right? It was primarily, ultimately, most significantly, we are children of the Father. We are members of a family in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, Alistair Begg says this, Is not the definition of a Christian simply that he or she has God as their Father? Not some remote figure, but a Father. Right? Let's be reminded this morning, before we talk about any exhortation or instruction, who we are as the people of God. We are children of the Father, and we live in a beloved family of the Father. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? That is the result of the work of grace that God has done in us, that God has done for us. We have been brought from a place of enmity and enemies of God to the family of God. We are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing to celebrate this morning? That's who you are by grace. Don't forget who you are, brothers. The instruction that I'm giving you, brothers, is in connection to the grace identity that you have as the people of God. And yet we still wrestle and struggle with sin. And, 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 and we still wrestle and struggle with speaking in sinful ways. He says, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. That word is simple, evil. It's actually a generic word. Don't speak. Don't speak evil. Toward whom? Your brothers. It's a generic term. But as we read the rest of the passage, we see that there's a particular, a specific nuance that James is getting at when it comes to speaking evil against one another. Six times the word judge is present in the passage. Judge, to judge, to speak evil against, to judge. It gives the idea that the kind of speech that James is prohibiting is a hostile, accusatory speech. Listening to Alistair Begg, again, to reference him, he said he's not talking about speaking uh, down to people, but speaking others down. Do you understand the difference there? talking down to them. It's talking them down. Right? As if to de totally deny the very unified and shared identity that we have together as brothers and sisters in the family of God. To talk them down. 
hateful, accusatory way. That's the kind of speech that James is prohibiting here. And I think what's wonderful to think about, especially over the last 18 months, as I was thinking about examples, where have we seen this in the last eight years in the life of the church? You know what? That's just a firm reality. I couldn't come up with that. Sure, this happens, obviously, but nothing memorable. And I want to affirm the fact that what's being prohibited here by James has not been uh, consistently present in the life of this local church. As a matter of fact, what we've seen, and I've heard stories from pastors of divided churches full of conflict and fighting and quarreling and some of the most ridiculous statements from one member to another. What we can say here, albeit imperfect, is that we can say that God's grace has been faithful to sustain us even in the way that we speak to one another here at Renovation Church. I'm not saying it's never happened. I'm just saying it's not characteristic of this congregation. And so be encouraged that that is not a way to pat you on the back per se, but to but to point you to the reality that God's grace by His Spirit has been work has been at work in this congregation. All glory be to God. Amen. For the grace that is operative. And let me do this to spur you on to continue to let grace, the gospel, and the work of grace, the work of Christ, to be the defining principle that that dictates and determines the way that we relate to one another, specifically the way that we talk to one another. Praise God for you. You're an example to me of how to speak to one another, even when we disagree, even when uh, we're frustrated. I try to think about, even though I'm affirming, like it's probably a good idea to acknowledge that this kind of speech could rear its ugly head at any moment. Just because it has not happened or is not characteristic doesn't mean that it couldn't take over at any given moment and wreak havoc in the life of the body here. Understand what we are capable of in our sin. Can we do that? Can we acknowledge the possibility of its presence in the days ahead? Can we do some work now? Can we run to God now and ask for grace to seek Him for help so as to prevent this in the future? Where do these things come from? Well, I think they come from conflicting personalities sometimes. Like, there is oil and water, and sometimes they just do this. You know what I'm saying? People drive me nuts just because they're different. Strange people make you mad. Some of you are like, I know, that's my marriage, right? That's a strange person I'm living with. It's just strange. It's not even sin. It's just real weird. Strange. And that just, they start saying crazy things. What about frustrating interactions with one another? I'm just going to venture to say that at some point in the last eight years, however long you've been a part of this congregation, in a missional community during a Sunday morning, or even having dinner together, you guys have had frustrating interactions with each other. And it would be a frustrating interaction that may give cause, unchecked by the Spirit, 
reacting to that, that you could speak someone down. That you could hostilely accuse your brother or your sister in Christ. So be aware of that. That when those interactions take place, that's what's happening. How about unmet expectations that we place on one another? I expected you to do X and you did not do it. I'm going to speak you down. You failed. Right? How about this? Strong disagreements with each other over things like COVID, over things like masks, over vaccinations, over political candidates, over public policies, over this article or that article. What about strong disagreements may cause us to speak each other down? sins against you, if someone speaks evil against you, what's the most amazing thing you can do to them? Let it go. Right? If someone sins against you, the natural human tendency is to sin against them. We speak evil against our brother or sister because you know why? They spoke evil against We respond to sin with sin, and we create a cycle of sinning against. And you know what? We always have to one-up the last time. So when someone sins against you, beware of, of hostile, accusatory speech that will talk them down. Some of this is a reaction to pain. And I think that's worth noting. Someone's hurt us. Every article and podcast and blog about how Christians and churches hurt people. Yeah, they do. Let's just admit that. Right? We all stumble in many ways. But man, what a what an awful way to deal with hurt by just giving it back. Right? You heard the statement, hurt people hurt people. Right? It's real. And I don't want to minimize that. And I think in very in many ways my prayer that that the Lord's grace and peace would be applied to your heart in the midst of your pain. Sin is not the remedy to sin. Grace is. God is. Right? And so let us beware of these kinds of things because these are the kinds of things that will motivate within us an evil, hostile, accusatory speech toward one another. I think Jesus actually gets deeper below some of the reasons why we do this thing. Because it's easy for us to talk about things that happened and experiences and interactions and say, this is the source of such speaking to one another. All these things taking place out there. But James says in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it something exterior to you? Is it not a war waging within you? Jesus said it. Out of the abundance of Maturity. But James 
doesn't tell us why we do what we do. But he does tell us why we should not do it. Do not speak evil against one another. Look at verse 11b. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. If you speak evil against or judge someone in the body of Christ, you are speaking evil against and judging the law. You may not easily or quickly make such a connection. But James is connecting what we may not connect. If you're speaking evil against or judging someone in the body of Christ, you're actually speaking against the law and judging the law. If you dishonor a brother or sister, you are dishonoring the Lord. There's a connection there. He says if you judge the law, you're not doing it. But remember, James told us we're not just to be hearers of the word, but what? That's our concern. That's our calling. We're to be doers of the Lord. We're to be keepers of the law. That's our concern. And that causes us for causes to go into self-analysis, self-reflection. Humble yourselves, he just exhorted us. Pointing the finger at everybody else. Humble yourselves. Be concerned to be doers of the word. When you are not concerned about keeping it, and you're concerned about speaking evil against or judging your brother or your sister, you are what? Dishonoring it. And really, you are disobeying it. Now, I think we've got to be careful here because I don't think that that negates our responsibility in the body of Christ to keep one another accountable to the Word and to the law of our God. What James is correcting here is not love that is willing to say a difficult thing in a loving way. He's condemning judgmentalism, hostile, accusatory speech that intends to talk someone down. Lincoln Duncan says this, When you speak against your brother, you are actually speaking against God's law. It's not just your brother's reputation that you're breaking. It is God's law that you're breaking. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges or condemns the law. When you speak against a brother, you are condemning the law. And again, he's connecting what we may not connect. That how we relate to one another in the body of Christ is directly connected to how we relate to the Lord. Right? We, we, we love that passage, we love because He first loved us. Right? But we might not understand that it's easy for us to claim to love God, to, to, to want to follow Him. And at the very same time, it would be easy to separate out what, that from loving our neighbor. But Jesus connects the two. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two may be distinguished, but they can never be separated in the Christian life. You dishonor your brother or your sister, you dishonor the Lord. You dis-
dishonor them, you speak against them, you speak against his law. If you're so consumed uh, with, with, with talking them down, you're actually breaking the law. And if you go back to Leviticus 19, where he's talking about loving neighbor, where, the, where, where Moses writes about loving neighbor, it's about a verse away that he talks about not slandering, not speaking against your brother. It's connected. And so we do not speak with hostile accusation toward one another because it's dishonoring and disobedient. Not only that, it's presumptuous. Look at what he goes on to say. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There's only one. God alone is the lawgiver and judge. I want you to hear that. Some of us, in our pride and presumptuousness, need to hear that there is only one lawgiver and judge. We are not lawgivers. We're law keepers. You follow? God alone is the lawgiver and the judge. And I love what John Calvin points to to say also that, that he's not deemed to be a doer of the law like we are. Look at what he says. He says, with regard to God, he's not to be deemed the doer of the law. Why? Because his righteousness is prior to the law. For the law has flown, uh, flown from the eternal and infinite righteousness of God as a river from its fountain. Righteousness uh, existed prior to the law, and the law is simply a revelation and display of his righteousness. He is the lawgiver. We are the law keeper. He is the judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and you are not him. You should hear that today. You are not him. Right? Some people say there's only one God, and you are not him. Right? That's, a, that's just a, a defining statement. And I think that what James is trying to say is that when we speak this way with hostile, accusatory, condemning speech toward our brother, we are assuming the role of lawgiver and judge. We are assuming a, a position and identity that is reserved for God and God alone. In some ways, James is putting every believer in their proper place. In a place that they can rest and not try to presumptually or pridefully step up and or self-exalt themselves too. Only God is the judge and the lawgiver. But hear this too. The fact that there is an eternally righteous lawgiver and judge should remind us that each and every one of us are still accountable to him. We're accountable to the lawgiver and the judge. And the wonderful news that he's able to save and to judge. Did you hear that today? Some of you might be feeling again just confronted by the James uh, call here. Or maybe any other things that you're wrestling and struggling with today. The wonderful news that we see here is that while God is the lawgiver and the judge, 
he is able to save and destroy. So if you're here today, and, 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 and you hear this nature and accountability that you have in your relationship to God, understand this, that while he is that, and eternally that, he is able to save through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's able to save, but he's also able to destroy. It brings us clarity. There's only one. Let's not confuse that by presuming to be someone that we're not, by doing something that is only reserved for the nature and the person of God. Who are you? I think we need to humbly wake up to the answer to that question, especially when we find ourselves speaking so provincially toward our brother and sister in Christ. The scriptures throughout tell us that, yes, we are made in the image of God. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, right? There is a, there is a dignity in being a human being that outshines anything, everything else in all of creation. But at the very same time, the scriptures teach that all flesh is like grass. Right? When Job was asking those questions in the midst of that long narrative, back and forth, what does God say to him? Were you there when I created the heavens? Who are you in relationship to me? Or maybe even what Moses says in Psalm 90, right? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We stand right as people in God's creation, but we are still Creations. We are still a, a, I think of my life in, in my 40s now, like time is flying. It, it, all flesh is like grass. Like I got pains in weird places because my body is deteriorating. I'm a temporary person, right? Like in the sense of this earthly existence, like it's just poof, a blip in time. But God is eternal. God is perfectly righteous, and it's He and He alone that can that can save and judge. It's not our place to speak with hostile accusation toward one another. It's proud and presumptuous, and lastly, it's unloving. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Changing language there, it's, it's not an accident. Brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, we're neighbors of one another. And that word neighbor, again, great commandment. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's unloving. summarize all of this, to speak with one another with such hostile accusation is radically inconsistent with the work of grace that God has done in our lives. It's radically inconsistent with the free mercy 
that has been given to us in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection, applied by the Spirit and the Word. And so James gives us a stop sign. Do not speak evil against one another. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that the direct speak the truth in love. And what is that? You read chapter 4, it, it continues to go on to talk about how speaking the truth in love will enable us to grow up into Him who is the head, namely Christ. That it's promoting a maturity. Right? To accuse mercy. Right? Satan, an accuser that points the finger, that talks us down, that tries to strip us of our gospel-made identity in Christ. And so when we speak to one another with such hostile accusation, for whatever reason, whatever sin wells up inside of us, whatever external circumstances are promoted, when we do that, So if we're here today and we struggle with this, I just want to invite you to seek the Lord for grace. Run into His arms with repentance. Ask Him to transform your heart, that you might have transformed speech. Ask Him to enable you to, to see yourself for who you really are in relationship with God. And also to give you the eyes to see who these people are in relationship to God and you. Members of your family. Members of your family in the faith. I think James already told us a few verses earlier, verse 6 through 8. With such promise, He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying, run into the arms of your Savior and receive the grace that you need for a transformed heart and a transformed Go to God in faith, expecting Him to give you the good gift that He alone can give. The grace that is needed. And then I would say this, while it's not explicit, right? It says, do not speak evil against. What's the opposite of that? Well, don't say anything. holiness and silence. The Lord calls us to speak. We're slow to speak. Be careful. But the Lord has called us to be speakers. 
are the opposite of speaking evil against. It's not silence, but it's to speak good for. So in many ways, the summation here is stop speaking evil against each other. Start speaking good for each other. Make a decision now that when it comes to your relationships with people in this local expression of the body of Christ, here at Renovation and in the days ahead, Covenant Church, as you come together, make intentional decisions. When I'm with these people, I will speak good for them. I think that's what God wants for His people. Speak good for them. It's for their good. Ephesians 4 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. Affirm your brothers and sisters. Encourage your brothers and sisters. Make a decision today to Think completely different about your words. Silence is not a special holiness. Some of you need to just start speaking more. And when you speak, speak good for the building up of your brothers and sisters. And I wonder if we also, as we repent and speak good, if we can envision a family here that is characterized by grace. Early in our marriage, my wife and I had a conversation about just our marriage and our family. What will it be like to be a part of this family? Those are the kind of questions you want to be asking each other. You don't want accidentally things to just come. This is what our family ended up being like. Like you got to take some intentionality and some prayer and some thought into your marriage and in your family. Have those kinds of conversations. Take your 17 hours of Netflix and maybe just do 14 this week and have a conversation about what your family is like. What makes up the fabric of your family? We have those conversations. And they've borne a lot of fruit. Now granted, a lot of frustration too. You know why? Because we all stumble in many ways. You set out to be a particular kind of family, you'll find yourself frustrated that often you're just not. You follow? But we said early on in those days, our family, our home, will be a place home of grace, the people in it have to be people of grace, amen? And the people in it have to say words that are 
just constantly dispensing grace, the grace of God to one another, the grace of Christ. You know, I'll never forget this quote by Hen Robinson. It takes seven attaboys for every rude word. What do you mean? Well, some of us have done such damage in our relationships at home, our marriage, even our church, and our work, because we have been so consistently speaking others down or using our words to hurt, control, and manipulate that are, again, just a reflection of the sin of our own heart that we can't seem to control or manage in prayer or apply the work of the gospel to. So we need grace. We need grace. And so I'm telling you that it's going to take a lot more affirmation and encouragement and a lot more scripture. I sat in the hospital with my grandfather who was so discouraged about his life and his where he's sleeping and what he's dealing with and where's his wife and where's my house and they took my car. His whole life was crumbled as he knew it. And it took uh, uh, just a short scripture to remind him that that is not true. That everything about his life is safe and secure in God. And I'm not trying to make myself an example. I'm saying that kind of encounter is an example of the kind of interaction we need to have. If Scripture's going in, why did I share that Scripture? That, that last verse of Psalm 48, He will guide us forever. Why did I share that Scripture? Because that Scripture was preached to me last week. And I thought about it all week. And the Spirit of God did something in my heart. So that when I'm in an encounter with a discouraged brother, who happens to be my grandpa, I can remember, He will guide us forever. So what I'm trying to say is, you, you've got to counteract intentionally, with Scripture, with grace, with encouragement and affirmation, or the sin of your heart will naturally take over and bring damage to the relationships that you treasure. And so, get Scripture in. Let Scripture will come out. Amen? And it will build up those who. Can we be a place can we be a church? Can we be a family of grace together? The interactions are going to frustrate you. No one's going to meet your expectations. You're going to come up with laws and expectations. You're going to try to bound people to. You're going to have preferences about ministry, about carpet colors, and blah, blah, blah in the years ahead. But the reality is that all that has to be submitted to the Lord Spirit would change us. We need you, Lord. We need you. We all stumble in many ways. And surely we stumble in how we say, what we say, to whom we say it. 
Lord, would you enable us by your spirit to stop or at least keep abstaining from speaking evil against one another. And may we be a church, a family, a people of grace. That what we say and how we say it to whom we say it is just the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the word of grace in the Scriptures. Lord, may that characterize who we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.